We are in the letter of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. A section that deals with off with the old and on with the new. So if you would please follow with the reading of the Holy Word of God. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk, in futility of the mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality, For the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, uh, I thank you what you have poured into me over these months that I have been studying just this section, let alone the years that I have been looking at this letter. But Father, I ask now, they don't hear me. I ask now that they hear you, that they be overwhelmed with the privilege you have given every one of us to hear the word of truth. Father, you have given each of us gifts. Father, may we exercise those gifts to the glory of the risen King that as we sang, they will know we are Christians by our love. Father, let us understand that as we grow in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, the call is to walk worthy. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name, amen. I've been going through this as slowly as I can, and the reason is that one of the things that I have watched in my life as a Christian is there's a whole bunch of them that don't know what salvation is. If you really think about that, isn't that a little on the troubling side? I mean, you hear it a lot. I received Christ. Okay. I accept Christ. Do you understand that that's not biblical? Nowhere in the Bible does it say, go receive Jesus. Nowhere does it say, I need to accept Jesus. Doesn't say I'm supposed to receive Jesus. It says, I am to believe on him. And yet, I'll never look at my Bible. So who is it you're believing on? Someone that you have created in your own image? And yet, it is, when I think about salvation, I think about a new creation. Okay, go back to Genesis. That was a new creation. That never existed before. And look, I have one. He threw the stars into the heaven. He put all the plant life on it. He put all the animals on it. And then he put man and woman on it. That was a new creation. Do we understand that? Do you understand at the moment of your salvation, you are a new creation? You're not adding something. It is a new creation. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, what did he say? You must be what? Born again. What is that? It's a new creation. It's a new creation. He makes a statement here that we should all be letting rattle around in our heads. 
you've been in, created in the likeness of God in His righteousness and holiness. That's amazing to me. Before the church, before Christians, there was Jew and there was Gentile. That's it. So when you think about Christian, you're looking at something that did not exist before Jew or Gentile. Okay? The term that we translate church, okay, is, is the phrase in the Greek, ekklesias. And the word literally means the called out ones. You have been called out into a new creation. The church is a new creation. The church never existed before Pentecost. And yet Jesus talked about the church. Okay? Have you ever thought about this? That the moment of your salvation, if you're truly saved, at the moment of your salvation, you are ready 100% for an eternal existence in holiness and righteousness. That is the new nature. We are here to conform the world. We are not here to conform to the world. All right? At verse 17, you see there, he says, You walk no longer just as the Gentiles. The word uh, Gentiles there is ethnia. It's the word we get ethnic from. When you see that term Gentiles, it means a nations, a people. It is referred to as heathens, pagans, a.k.a. Gentiles. Okay, The New Testament uses the word inevitably to speak of non-Jews. Okay, But also... It has religious connotations to it. So it is an ethnic thing, meaning that you are a non-Jew. But it also has a religious connotation to it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Not in lustful passions like the Gentiles who do not know God. So when you see the term Gentile, you can say it's a non-Jew that doesn't know God. So on one hand, non-Jews, but on the other hand, they do not know God. That is the point. Look what he says in the context. Don't walk like that. Remember how he started out chapter 4? I implore you. To what? Walk worthy of this calling. What would that imply? Not as the Gentiles who do not know God. Remember what he said? Until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. Verse 13 of chapter 4. So he's saying, don't walk like that. When, and I shared with you what walk means. That means your daily manner of life. Your daily, your, your, your daily routine. Don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like those who don't know God. Don't live your life like people who do not know God. Believer. You're a new creation. You know God. Now listen, ancient believers, this was extremely difficult. 
because pagan worship, okay, everybody but the Jews believed in multiple gods. Whether you hung out with the Romans, whether you hung out with the Greeks, it didn't, uh, the Scythians, whichever group you hung out with, you had multiple gods. And the pagan deeds were always in your face. I remember looking at some artifacts back when I was teaching through 1 Thessalonians. Looking at some artifacts that were dug up in the city of Thessalonica. It's still there. And, and of course, they got ruins everywhere. They dig it up and whatever. And these artifacts and carvings were pornographic. And they would hang them on the outside walls of your house. Because in Thessalonica, it was so dangerous, you couldn't have windows out into the street. So they would put up these placards, and it was pornography. And that was your daily commute. And it was everywhere. It was everywhere. Always in your face. Now think about it for a second. I believe... That the church in America needs to wake up to this. The affluence of America is being pushed in our face. I remember some of you guys, some of you guys weren't even born. I dream of genie. You remember? Everybody looks at me, well, you would. But do you know that they could not show her belly button? Go watch it. Yeah, I know you can YouTube it or Google or whatever we do these days. But you could you weren't allowed to look at her belly button. You weren't allowed to see her belly button. My my, have we changed? Okay? And they push it. They push it. And listen, I I came through the 60s and 70s. Yeah, I'll take credit. I pushed it. <laughs> Here we go. What's wrong with this? And then I look at it now and I'm like, no, man, we're trying to be like Thessalonica or Ephesus. Listen, the problem that I see in the church in America, and I've traveled outside here and I don't see it so much, maybe some in Europe and in England, but... When you get back into Russia and Georgia and Azerbaijan, uh, even if you go to India uh, or Myanmar, our problem in the United States for the church is not getting the world to live like Christians. Okay, Do you realize that there are many lost people who have great moral standards? Okay. Our problem is getting Christians to stop living like the world. That's the battle. I remember talking to a Russian pastor. First, I think it was my first or second trip there. And uh, it was when there was the scandal down at that church in the Springs. And he said, the pastor asked me, how does that happen? And I said, well, not everybody claiming Christ, possess him. And uh, so I asked him a question. I said, so how much divorce is there in the church in Russia? And he looked at me and he says, there's no divorce in the church in Russia. And I said, really? And he says, yeah. He says, if a couple are married and only one of them comes two Sundays in a row, the elders go over to the house and stay there until it's resolved. And I said, well, that sure would fix it, wouldn't it? If they're having problem in their marriage, then bring the spiritual leaders in, have them sit and pray with you. He says, the other thing is, we do not let our young people date. And I was like, really? And he says, if you want to meet somebody, come to our events at the church. And you'll get to know people in the church. And therefore, if you feel like you're going to get married, you will be marrying a, a believer. And I remember I had uh, two interpreters as a young woman and a young man. 
And they were back and forth to college, and so they were in and I was teaching eight hours a day, five days a week, and so whichever one I might have one of them in the morning and one of them in the afternoon. Anyway, I was getting ready to leave. And I had to catch a train from Oriel back to Moscow. And it was cold and foggy and there's stinking piles of snow everywhere, and it was just flat out miserable. So anyway, I'm getting ready to throw my stuff on the train. I've got a couple of the deacons are there with me. Valeria is there with me, and we're we're saying goodbye. And you know what a great time. And, and you know just saying goodbye. And, he, and Valeria kept looking at his watch. And I was like, "What's wrong?" He says, uh, "We're waiting for Misha and Anya." I said, "What?" And they said, well, "They want to say goodbye to you." And I was like, "Well, okay." I said, "Is there a holdup?" He says, "Well." We don't allow unmarried singles to go out by themselves without a married couple with them. And we do that for their protection. And so they were finding somebody who would come with them down to the train station to say goodbye to me. I see all these young people going, what kind of planet did you come off of? But... You can't convince a young person to, I'm doing that to protect you. Because then you start messing with somebody's pride because you're like, well, you don't think I can't handle this? And you know what? I, I smile at him and says, I know you can't. Why? I used to be young, believe it or not. Not that long ago. Yesterday, I was younger. See? We need to understand this because trying to get the church not to look like the world, if you go look around in Castle Rock today, tell me how that's working. The impact of our society on the church is actually amazing. And it's stunning. And you know what? People walk out of here saying, man, what a pharisaical whatever. You know, you're making all these rules and regulations. I ain't making no rules and regulations. I'm telling you that you are not to walk as the Gentiles walk. You're not to walk like those who don't know God. Don't look like that in your lifestyle. That's what I'm saying. And you know what's really cool? You got a bunch of clowns running around here like me who are willing to stand right there beside you and help you through it all. And yet sometimes our pride says, I can handle this. Sure you can. If you look at the history of the Ephesus, Ephesus is fascinating. If you look at Ephesus, the city of Ephesus at the writing of this letter, it is so similar to what we're dealing with. I've actually read that some believe that Ephesus was the most evil city in Asia Minor. You're like, whoa. Okay. You know why? It was a religious center of all of Asia Minor. Do you know the seventh wonder of the world was in Ephesus? You know what it was? Temple of Diana, or the Temple of Artemis. I'll explain it to you in a minute. And it was a massive thing, huge, huge. See, the focus was the worship. But what they wanted to do is they wanted to worship for everybody. So we can call it the Temple of Diana, or we can call it the Temple of Artemis, so that the males can worship and the females can worship. Don't you think that's gracious of them? Very often in the worship of this temple, people who were truly spiritual would dress in opposite sex. Because one of the things that you can look in Satan's system is eventually there will be a mixing of male and female. Does that sound familiar? 
Hmm? That like, I've never heard such a crazy thing. Have you ever heard such a crazy thing? <laughs> I've seen pictures of this idol of Diana. And uh, she is supposed to be the goddess of fertility. Okay, She's supposed to stir you and stir your passions. And then I've seen the statue. First and foremost, it's a great big black rock that's been carved. Okay, all right. Supposedly, this rock fell out of heaven. The, the gods, evidently, the gods didn't want it in heaven, so they chucked it out in Ephesus, and so they carved it. If you look at the carving of Diana, it looks like. <laughs> now this is a turn on. Remember, this is supposed to stimulate you. Okay, it looks like a cross between a wolf and a cow. That's black stone. And I thought, ah, you guys are sick in Ephesus. <laughs> it was nasty looking. I mean, it just you just look at it and think, whoa. You also got to remember, there's a temple of Bacchus in Ephesus. You know what the temple? You know what Bacchus is? He's the wine god. He makes you have wine. And you know what you did there? You went into a big old room. And I mean, this is a big old room. You probably put 2,000 people standing. And you drank yourself until you puked. And there's a big pit in the middle of the room where you could just, everybody could puke. And then that would make you spiritual. We call those bars. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> same thing. Diana was the seventh wonder of the world, and it was an art museum. The precious art of the time was put in the Temple of Diana. But do you also know it was an asylum for criminals? Within a quarter mile around the Temple of Diana was a sanctuary for criminals. That don't sound familiar, does it? Also, and I've always found this fascinating, it was the largest bank in Asia Minor. Which makes sense if you think about it. Who would want to go steal money out of one of the gods' temples? That'd be kind of like bad juju or something, wouldn't it? People were fearful to mess with money in a temple. And so it became a banking institution. You wouldn't want to mess with that because you could make the gods mad. I mean, if you think about it, it's good business sense. Right? The worship in the Temple of Diana was basically nothing more than orgies. I don't know, did you go over to Bacchus for a while and then come over to Diana? I don't know how that works. Which, if you think about it, made it a very popular religion. Right? I mean, you can tell your wife, hey, going down to the temple for a while, I'll be back. Don't wait up. But your wife could tell you the same thing. Hey, going down to the temple for a while, don't wait up. I'll be back. I'm going to worship in some kind of spirit. A lot of the false religions that are out there, you see that sex is a key. And I've always thought about that. I thought, you know, how easy is evangelism if sex is the key? But you could also understand that when they did this, <laughs> they would sell you idols, little silver idols that you could hang on, I don't know, the dashboard of your chariot or whatever you was going to do, hanging in your bathrooms or whatever, hanging around your neck. But you could get these silver statues you know I, I've never I haven't seen any of those and I kept thinking you make a silver statue of a cross between a cow and a wolf who wants that but anyway they were everywhere and they were worshipped as uh, sex goddesses they had eunuchs so that if your wife decided to go down and worship uh, she wouldn't come back pregnant 
and then you had priestesses that they didn't care. And rumor has it that there were thousands upon thousands of eunuchs and priestesses in the temple of Artemis and Diana. I was reading some of the uh, secular writings about Ephesus, and the quote was, morals were lower than animals, unquote. That's what lost people thought about it. Another writer said, its inhabitants were fit only to be drowned. So let's move the family to Ephesus. You know what is bizarre about all of that? God placed a church right smack in the middle of it. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul writing and told Luke that a great door for the gospel has been opened for me in Ephesus. Right? But the adversaries are many. Whoa, you think so? Think so? If you look at it, when he started preaching the gospel, there were riots in Ephesus because of the gospel. You know why? We're led by the silversmiths. Paul was hurting her business. Actually, Paul ruined their business because they'd take these little silver things and hang them everywhere. Paul is saying in verse 17, don't walk like them. Even if it's all around you, don't walk like them. You know what? The new life is necessary. But I'm going to tell you, the new life is difficult. And it hasn't changed. Put off that old suit. Remember I told you? Our problem as Christians today we have that, the old clothes of the old self, the old smelly, rotten clothes. And we, they're comfortable. They're comfortable. I understand them. I can get, kind of get by with them. But they don't do you any good. Ephesus was an awful place. Paul says, I want you to be different. I want you to be different. Don't get sucked back into what you were saved from. It's easy to do, isn't it? I mean, it's not that, you know, the big ones are easy. Okay. Uh, even though I feel like murder them, I shouldn't. Okay. I'm not going to steal anything. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. But you know what? It's just like I was teaching in Sunday school this minute. How do you do with contentment? How do you do with that? Because let me ask you a question. In our society right now, as in Ephesus, can you tell me one section of our society that is content? And yet, I read you a verse this morning in a Sunday school class out of 1 Timothy. Godliness with contentment is of great gain. See, we'll work on the godliness, that contentment thing. You know, kind of, kind of comes, it kind of goes, it kind of comes, kind of goes. Don't get sucked back into it. First Peter chapter four, verse three. This is I'm going to try to explain this to you. Okay, for the time already past is sufficient, for you have carried out the desires of the Gentiles. Okay, in your past having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking, parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excessive dispensations. Okay, basically what Peter's trying to tell you is the past is enough. Don't live in the past. It's just like that, that thing. If you're driving a car, you can't do it looking in a rearview mirror. Okay? Or there's a reason the rearview mirror is small and the windshield is wide. But how many of us keep trying to look to the past? Look behind us. And Peter's saying, don't go back there. 
You don't need to be in that. We don't walk in that anymore. It's awful. The time has passed. That is over. What we are in Christ. Remember? It's a new life. It's something that was never before. It's unique. It's different. And you can't look in the past and make it better going forward. It is such a tragedy today. In the church today, and it's kind of stunning to me, is if you're saved, there shouldn't be any doubt around your closest friends. Because they're different. You're different. You're not like them anymore. I remember I had a biker friend of mine. We used to have a little grocery store in Elizabeth. And uh, his name was Stroker. He was, uh, he's, yeah, he's crazy. Okay, but I remember, came to salvation, they all knew it. I'd kind of disappeared out of their lives for a while. And then slowly God started bringing some of these people back into my life. And I remember going into this grocery store. Now, Stroker was about six eight six nine. So if he's walking around in the grocery store, you know it. He always wore, you know what an engineer cap is? Some of you, what? Anyway, he wear an engineer cap, and you see this engineer cap going all over the grocery store. And I watched him run from me. He didn't want to get around me. And I thought, that is, that's crazy, man. And I don't know if he thought my Christianity was going to rub off on him. Or, or, or what the heck was going on? And, and, you know, I knew his sister was married to my best man. And, uh, she said that, uh, he's just really uncomfortable around you. And I said, well, I ain't done nothing. Well, that just makes him uncomfortable. Okay. And I never did it. It wasn't like I was trying to say, you know, Stroger, you're going to go to hell if you don't change. That. <laughs> I didn't say a thing to him. How are you doing? In uh, John's gospel. No, let's go with 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. 2, 15. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's pretty blunt, don't you think? If you love the world, guess what? And don't go down the road and say, I don't love the world, I just like it. Okay? Because that, that never worked for me. Why? The world is passing away. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Is not from the Father, but is from the world. It's all passing away. We, we, you know what the word temporal means? Temporary. If you get it all, guess what? Still temporary. Still temporary. The world will pass away. If that passes away, then what happens to the lust of the world? You wave bye bye. You may not know this, but society is hostile to godliness. Okay? I'm not talking about religion. The world kind of likes religion every once in a while. Okay? I've heard people try to debate that abortion is God's way of caring. And you're like, I didn't even go with wood. I was like, I want a lot of distance between you and me. Okay? They like religion. Society has carnal ambitions. Pride. Greed. Lust. Deception. John is saying, don't have any part of that. I also like what Paul says back to our text in Ephesians 4. 
I say this, okay, this I say, affirmed together with who? The Lord. The Lord. Hmm. That's pretty serious, isn't it? It's not just Paul saying this. Because I've heard that before. People argue, well, that's what Paul was saying. Well, don't be as the world. Guess who's saying it? The Lord. This is a divine lifestyle that God is calling you to. Have you ever heard this question? What is God's will? Just gave it to you. Don't walk as the Gentiles. That's God's will. That's his standard. And you know what? It should be the basics for a believer. This section that we are in is a contrast from the old to the new. The old walk and the new walk. The old man's lifestyle, the new man's lifestyle. First part of here, these verses, is the, uh, the old lifestyle. If you look at it, it gives four characteristics. And if you really look at these four, and we will over the next few weeks, it has summarized what our society is. Okay? Everything in our society can be summarized in these four things. That's pretty impressive if you think about it. Because remember, this thing's an old book. And, you know, how can it work in 2000? Okay? But yet you can summarize our society in the four things that are listed here. But before we get into those next week, I want you to remember something that I shared with you last week. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. What does it say? Keep going, girl. But be transformed. There you go. Stop right there. Okay? Conform to the world means to be pressed into it. Okay? To keep me from being pressed into it, how do I do that? Nope. Renew your mind. Renew your mind. R.C. Sproul's ministry. Renewing your mind. Okay? (laughs) I mean, I kept pulling this and pulling this and pulling this and I, I... I backed away from it and finally realized this is so simple that I missed it. Okay? The whole issue of the walk is how do you think? Okay? Look what he says there at the end of uh, verse 17. What does it say? In the futility of their mind. Verse 18 begins with being darkened in their Understanding. Verse 18 at the end and talks of ignorance. That's the old. Verse 20. But you did not what? Learn. Verse 21. You were taught. Verse 23. You were minded. Okay? The whole thing with your walk is learning. Teaching, learning, teaching, your mind and knowing. That's, that's one of the reasons I never missed church before I became a pastor. Why? Because I knew what I had before. And I knew it didn't work. And so I need to know this new stuff. It's one of the things that I, I, one of the reasons I know I'm saved. I hate reading. Okay? And yet, you think I'm kidding. (laughs) I think if you wanted to read, why'd God make cassette tapes? But anyway, I can't get enough. I can't get enough. It's amazing to me. Why? Because it is removing the futility of my mind. You know what the word futility means? Uselessness. Uselessness. See, if I learn and I'm teaching and being taught, 
then my mind knows. Okay? And that is the opposite of ignorance. I mean, if you think about it, what I shared with you about no dating in the church in Russia, that's why they don't have me uh, working in youth groups anymore. Why? Because I'm trying to protect you. Well, that ain't protection. That's, what is it? Oppression? What is it? Restriction? Well, I got news for you. I woke up in a hospital, and the first thing that came to my mind after three days of my life had passed by, and I didn't know it, was you are not your own. You've been bought and paid for with a price. That's salvation. Okay? See, the mind is the issue. How we think is how we act. Think I'm kidding you? Go spend an afternoon hanging out with a lost person. What happens to your vocabulary? Huh? Go try it. As my mommy said, potty mouth. Right? But if you go hang out with a bunch of Christians, what do you get? There's a bunch of sticks in the mud. Why? Because I can't exercise my potty mouth. Listen, the point is that it's here in this contrast is Christians think differently. All of this learning, all this teaching, it is for what? Stimulating the mind so you're not futile in your ignorance. You know, I listen to people who will jettison the creation model for science. Well, really? You ain't been around long enough, have you? Do you know what a brontosaurus is? It's a non-existent entity that science came up with. Hmm. It was science who said that the world was flat. Job said it was a sphere hanging in nothing. But I need to listen to science? Really? Well, we're going into global warming. Well, what happened to the ice age I grew up with? They told me that by 1983, the oceans would not maintain life again. That must have been like 30,083. See what I'm trying to get at? We will jettison the truth of God because some clown says, Well, I've studied this. Well, hallelujah, Bob. Listen, I'm not against science. I mean, they can take a vein out of your butt and put it in your heart and make you feel better. That's pretty amazing to me. But some of it is pure speculation, man. I mean, and and it ain't even good speculation. That's, I don't, whatever. You know, (laughs) this, I don't even want to get into it. This frustrates me. I did a, Debate at a college down in, uh, where the heck is it, in Gunnison, Western State. I know why they call it Wasted State. Because them people, clueless. They want to debate. I was supposed to debate three of their professors and then me. And they thought I was going to walk in there and hit them in the head with the Bible. And I used science. Listen, a believer, we think different than the lost does. A believer's focus is eternal, not temporary. It's eternal. Please understand something. The mind is the issue. As we think, what? So we are. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Christian... We must think different. Why? So I don't walk as the Gentiles. 
so I don't walk darkened in my understanding, so I don't walk in the futility of my mind, so I don't am not excluded from God because of ignorance and the hardness of heart and the callousness of the soul. When we think different and when we do, we will act different. Brothers and sisters, that's salvation. I get into trouble. People tell me they're saved. And I look at them, smile, give them my big effervescent smile. Smile at them and say, well, how do you know? What? Well, how do you know? Just asking a question. When the Apostle Paul left Jerusalem for Damascus and he can't, they had seen him again, guess what? That boy was different. Peter denied Christ three times and then in 40 days later walks into the temple and says, you men of Israel who murdered the Son of God. The boy was different. Okay? That's the way we should be. I do... Uh, Invocations for the town every once in a while. And I, <laughs> this one pastor here in town, he said, Now, Terry, I know how you stand and all the rest of it, but you need to do yourself a favor if you ever want to come back. And I said, What's that? And he says, Don't use in the name of Christ for your prayers. And I was like, What? He said, Well, there might be some Muslims there. There might be some Jews there and all the rest of them. They'll get offended by it. And I said, Well, then who should I pray to? He said, well, I'm just telling you. I'm just trying to give you a bit of advice. So I went in the first time, and I prayed to the lion of the tribe of Judah. <laughs> I'm praying to the Alpha and the Omega. And it drives them nuts. <laughs> so salvation... I must remind you, first of all, is a change of mind. It is a new thinking process. See, the unsaved can't think right. Now run out and tell them that. Well, I just don't think you're thinking right. Salvation is a change of mind. Salvation is a new thinking process. Verse 20 says, you have learned Christ. That's the theological side. Okay, I'll give you a quote from a really smart guy that I ran into named Rendell. He has the largest personal library that I have ever seen on theology. A little over 40,000 volumes, and he's read every one of them. I ain't got that many cassette tapes. But here's what he said. Speaking of learned Christ, quote, it is cognitive before it is experiential. It's kind of cool if you think about it. Let it kind of soak in for a little bit. It is a thinking that draws us to God. And we think different about our sins when we draw close to God. And our sins will be different before us. We think different about God. I think different about God. I used to think he was the magic man. We think different about Christ. We think different about what we should do with our life. A new process begins at salvation. And that salvation is a change of mind. You know what? That's the word of repentance is. It means change direction. If you think about it, how do the Gentiles think? How do you think? Do you look just like the Gentiles? You may have a bigger problem than what you think. The lost think one way, we think another way. Then remember this wonderful definition of the word Gentile. Pagan. And the pagans will buy into anything. Okay?
That's where we're beginning. Next week we'll begin the four points of the walk of the old self. Let's pray. Father, uh, I give you the praise for your word and uh, the power that is there, the authority that is there. But Father, I also know that it is only by your spirit um, that anything is accomplished. So Father, I pray that your spirit moves in the hearts of my brothers and sisters. If there's someone here who does not know you, Father, may today be the day that their thinking changes. Help us, Lord. Help us to hear you. Help us to walk in you. Help us to walk worthy of this calling. Help us to do it in all humility and gentleness. Help us to do it in complete odds to the Gentiles. To you, my Lord and Savior, in Christ's name, amen.